Today's episode of Pivot Points is made possible by listeners like you. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts or any other platform, please remember to leave us a review. Each review helps more people find the show and join our community. This podcast explores the dynamics at play when we make the critical decisions that determine the course of our lives. We all make most decisions on limited information. Sometimes the outcomes are great, other times they're not. Regardless, there are lessons to be learned in the process. I hope this episode gives all of you a new perspective, whether you're currently serving, are a veteran like me, or regardless of background, are just interested in exploring the unique paths my guests have taken and examining their decision-making process. And with that, let's dive in. Enoch, welcome. Pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So, you know, awesome to meet you here at the Stanford Ignite program. And as we kind of work through trying to get to know everybody in the program and having them on to share their experiences, I just got to say how incredible of a job the Stanford team did at putting together this cohort. I mean, you have everybody from every branch of the military, ranks from, you know, E5, E6, all the way through O6. So really runs the gamut. And then people who have been out for a while, some who are transitioning out now yep. and others who are going to go back and continue to, uh, to serve and then innovate from within. Um, and I think you have a unique and compelling story and, uh, and also just a super interesting dude. So looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. Appreciate it. So what was your connection to the military? What'd you do? Yeah. So, um, I was a C5 crew chief, so Worked in Dover, uh, Dover, Delaware as a mechanic. I uh, got to fly around, which was pretty cool. Do missions around the world, uh, you know, taking stuff from uh, Dover to wherever it needed to go. So it was pretty cool. Right. I mean, you carry some pretty big equipment on a C5, right? Yeah, man. Uh, tanks, Humvees, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, choppers, you name it. Whatever needed to go down, wherever we needed to take it, we, we took it down. And food, too, which Incredible. is really important. Incredible. Yeah. So I'd like to get some back to some of your, your service a little bit, but how many years total did you serve? I did six years total. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And did you do that after college? Or? I did. So I joined actually a year after I graduated from college. Awesome. And, yeah. and you did it as an NCO, correct? As an enlisted correct. member. Correct. I, I came in as enlisted. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So which is a different path. I mean, a, a lot of people, especially after college, will go in as officers, but um, I'd like to get into in a little bit, you know, why you went that way and, and how fulfilling that experience was and all that. Um, but tell us a little bit about where you're from and your background and, you know, how you ended up in the Air Force. Yeah. So I was born uh, in Angola. Um, you know, my, my grandpa served, um, my dad served in Angola. So the military there is quite different. And, um, yeah, born in Angola. And, uh, when I was 12, I got to move to, to the U.S., uh, with my family. So it was pretty cool. And, um, just wanted to give back, uh, you know, the U S gave me a lot and I felt like, uh, I needed to give back. And, and that's pretty much, uh, what prepared me to, to want to join, uh, the air force or well, the military. So I just ended up with the air force. In, in, in getting to know you a little bit over the last three weeks, um, I know that there's a lot more to that story. What are you willing yeah. to share about like how interesting uh, and, and really incredible the story is of, of your family and, and why you came to America and, 
in the situation in Angola. Yeah. Oh man. That's es- a- especially when you know when you were young. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's a lot different than you know most people in the cohort. Um, you know, I was born in Angola, uh, nineteen eighty-seven. So if you know anything about Angola, you know civil war in Angola went from uh, nineteen seventy-eight from in the, before independence. We had a war happening, you know, war of independence, and then right after independence, we had a civil war from nineteen seventy-eight till two thousand and two. So I was born right in the middle of the war when things were pretty pretty bad. 1978 to 2002, yep. you're in civil war. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, very- I mean, we think about, you know, our wars as being long. And, uh, and you know, that's that's abroad, right? Yep. And so, this is in the country. I can only imagine, like, the havoc and devastation that that kind of brings on the population when that's going on in your country. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty... You know, it's pretty interesting and traumatizing at the same time, kind of, you know, from the time you're a kid, uh, I remember, you know, having to hide uh, from, you know, when the gunshots would go off, you know, you have to, to hide and we wake up in the morning or the next day and go outside and inspect like the bullet holes going through our wall. Uh, I was, we were lucky at some point we had moved to a house that was actually built uh, in colonial times, like a colonial house. It was pretty thick, but one of the things we would do. Whenever, you know, we hear gunshots, the next day we'd go out and check out. We're like, oh, look, there was a bullet going through here. As kids, we didn't really think much of it. But now it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. I can only imagine how scared my, my folks were. Uh, my parents were pretty scared. Um, yeah, and even, like, my mom would sell in the market and go in the market and, like, troops would show up, you know, from different sides and just kind of raid the market, kick everyone out, take their stuff just just because they could. Uh, and, you know, they're probably pissed off from the war. But, yeah, that was my, that was my childhood, right? And... Uh, we had to walk to school on our own, kind of have to na- navigate that, knowing when to get home. So it's a, it's been, it was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and why did you guys decide to to move from Angola? Yeah. So uh, my dad actually ended up working with uh, with the government uh, through an organization, and um, yeah. So, so through his job, he ended up, you know, going through some stuff to where he pretty much uh, had no option, you know, it's either leave now or get killed. So, you know, he, he, he was lucky that he had met some folks in the U S that kind of helped him get out and, uh, and move to the States. So from there, he, you know, he came here as an asylee and, and tried to, he worked his way to get the entire family here. So, yeah, so it was pretty, you know, we had to leave. We had no other choice, but to leave. Otherwise my whole family pretty much wouldn't be alive at this point. That's incredible. And, and can you just for for those of us that aren't super familiar with with Angolan history and everything else, like what were the political divisions? What side was your dad on, and and then what led to to a situation as dire as that? Where yeah, I mean it's it, it wasn't he wasn't one side or the other. He kind of you know my dad was in the medical field, so he worked um, distributing you know goods that would come into the country that would go to people that that needed it. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. He wanted the stuff to actually make it to the people that were in need. That's part of the reason why he joined the organization, you know, and then he found out that that wasn't happening. So he, he ended up kind of raising the flag. And when he did that, you know, he raised alarms, (laughs) uh, when he found out that it actually went up further up the the food chain. So, um, you know, some, yeah, some concerned people were kind of, they didn't want that truth to to come out. So that's. Wait, so. 
And, and I, I think I've seen this or, or and heard of it in other places where international aid comes in. Yep. And is that generally what you're speaking about? Correct. Yeah. International aid comes in. And it gets distributed. To, yep. But it gets distributed through local governments and sometimes militias or, or just other, yeah, other entities, Yeah. In right? Angola, we, we didn't really have, uh, at least not where I lived, we didn't really have local militias. So my dad is part of a, of a, a government that worked with NGO. Uh, so he's part of an Like he worked with an NGO um distributing the stuff that would come out and that that was pretty much his his role right so yeah aid would come from the u.s or other countries and, and get distributed from there so but there there can be perverse incentives and obviously corruption and oh, sometimes people of, hold some of that of back course. right and they'll sell it right to make right. money so that's kind of how things were getting played out and he just didn't really took an honorable stance against yep. that correct and in that yeah. kind of Yep, I sparked the whole a target on his back yeah so he became a target and um yeah and 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 pretty much you know his boss and the people that he worked for kind of were like, Hey, we're after you. And he was, he was lucky to get tipped. So he was able to get out way in time before anything ever went down. But I remember them coming to our house, actually telling us that, um, yeah, if, you, if your dad doesn't come back, you're, you're done. So that was a, that was a bit scary, um, as a kid to see that, but Wait, how old were you at the time? Um, I think I was about eight at the time. Okay. Yeah. So it was a bit scary. Uh, having that happen and then and you know my dad just got lucky that and, he was able to and when that happened was your dad already gone they said if your dad yeah so my dad out. was already gone and they came to look for him and see where he went you know they said he stole money and he needs to pay it back and if he doesn't pay it back then you know we're all gonna be they're gonna take us and you know they threatened my mom and she was pretty much like you know he's not here the, the whole nine yard right and uh yeah trying to get them to, to leave and eventually they did leave and it's like yeah we're gonna come back and we do it's not gonna be very nice so from there we end up just leaving this the, the city where we lived to try to try to get away like that week or that night or uh, i was like the next day the next we day packed up everything and loaded my uncle's truck and left wow. so yeah and how long was it before you were able to join your your dad in the united uh, states yeah so it was almost a little over two uh, two years from when my dad left is when we were able to kind of everyone got back together. As a wow, family. two yeah. years, and so he left. How much? Yep. How much? What was the timeline, generally speaking, from from when he left to the, the event happening? You have to leave your home. Uh, my dad left, and a few, I would say, a few weeks after he left, maybe not even a, not even a week. And so a few weeks week. after he left, yeah, he leaves. Yep. So a few weeks after he left, you have to leave your home. We have to leave our home, and we moved to a different house that my dad bought. Just kind of like, you know, investment house that was further away. And then, yeah, so we moved there, kind of lay low for a bit. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then we moved to an, a place back in the city, but in an area where no one knew, like it was kind of like a hideout house. And my mom found where we, we weren't allowed to go outside or meet with anyone. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so that was it. Like, you know, and, and it was pretty tough because my brother and I played soccer. So like not being able to go play soccer because we weren't allowed to be outside. We couldn't go to school, which sucked. Um, so, so what you we, do all day? So we just stayed inside in, in this compound like all day. Man. Wow. Yeah. It's tough. And how old was your brother? I mean, you were uh, eight, so yeah, this is like eight to like 10, 10 for you. My brother, my brother was two years older than me, so he was like yeah. 10, 11 at the time. Yeah. That's got to be so yeah. tough on your mom as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, she was, uh, it was pretty tough. I see, I see, I saw that like where, you know, and especially my dad not being around uh, and he was trying to work the process and she kind of started losing faith in the system, not really knowing what's happening. You know, it was really hard for them to get into communication because 
they didn't know if anyone was listening, so they didn't really talk much, and it was pretty tough for her. Um, yeah, it was definitely pretty difficult for my mom, and she kind of realized she had, she had to take matters in her own hands to kind of well, save this the is, situation. This is mid mid late nineties too, right? Yep. So yeah. you know, yep. there's no FaceTime. Nope. Long distance calls cost a lot of money. Yeah. So man, that's super tough. Yeah. And then you come to the United States two years after, like two years yeah. after the initial event happens yep. and all that. So two years later, you know, we, we first moved to, to Europe to meet with my mom. So my mom actually ended up leaving my brother and I, uh, we all left <laughs> separate, which is crazy. Who'd she leave uh, you with? So my, my sisters left, uh, like a year after my dad, well, like it, months after my dad left, my, my sisters ended up moving to the States. And how old were they? They're, they're teenagers. I don't remember quite their age or a bit okay. older than me. Uh, and then my mom, my brother, my youngest sister and I were left. And then they ended up leaving um, Angola as well. My mom and my sister left. So my mom applied for the uh, asylum in Belgium. She only got she only got approved for her and my sister to go. My brother and I were denied. We couldn't go because we were too old, according to, you know, European rules or whatever rules were being made, you know. Uh, so that's wild. Yeah. So my brother and I ended up staying with our cousin who's 13 years old and like some uncle who was supposed to be watching us, but he was, yeah, he was really nowhere there for the most part. He was kind of figuring out his own life. So, so for the most part is like a 13 at 10 year old, a uh, 12 year old and a fifth, well, he's 14 year old. We're all just gonna, yeah, like figure it out. Like, you know, that's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. So your dad leaves because. He's a target and he's yep. going to be killed. Yep. You have to leave your home yeah, my, and move to yep. different locations, yep. one of which you can't leave to go outside. Yep. Your older sisters have already been granted asylum. Yeah, so they left. They came to the U.S. So you're not with your whole family. Nope. And then, then your mom leaves with your little sister yep. to go to Belgium. Yeah. So, so smart. Yeah, so my brother and I left and we were not allowed to meet with anyone. Uh, they kind of gave us a lay, you know, the, the lay down, try to stay indoors, don't go outside, like, you know, the, the safe house. That we were staying at like you know you can't go to school you can't do yeah so the only friends we had were people we we knew this a friend of my mom and her kids because they would come and visit us and we would go to their house and they had to pick us up or the people in, the, in our compound where we stayed at it was a whole bunch of other guys were renting places there like they're in their 20s <laughs> so that was, was kind of like our friends which is uh yeah so they looked up for us when they could it was pretty cool but uh and yeah at the time, at first it was scary, but then we just figured it out. My brother and I just saw it as another thing we had to deal with, um, and we just, you know, went on with it. So, yeah, you make it sound easy, but that's incredible things to go through. You know, between the ages of eight and eight and twelve, right? Yeah, like, I mean, not- when you're when you're when you're born in that situation, you kind of you're just figure out, right? right? I mean, when I was yeah, like when I was young, we we you know we went through. I was born in that. We just had to figure out, right? There was no certainties. Like my, we lost my younger brother when he was two because we had no food. Um, malnourishment, it's something that we don't think about in the U.S., but we had to deal with that. So kind of like a, by the time I was that age, you just kind of knew like, hey, life happens. You got to just deal with it, right? It's not going to change. So, yeah. yeah. And then you eventually do get granted asylum, correct? Yeah. So we ended up getting, my dad got like, approval for the whole family to move so we end up moving to the states um to and in 99 like that's when the whole family gets back together and so you moved directly to the states from angola from belgium from belgium yeah. so you got you got when did you move to belgium so we moved to belgium 
not I, I don't remember the dates uh just, too clearly, but I was like well, ten, it was like before my eleventh birthday, I think it was, or right after my eleventh birthday. It, it's think. just an incredible thing to highlight yeah. because uh folks, Enoch speaks seven languages. So, you know, seeing his path and, and along the way you you know, you picked up all these different languages. It's just interesting to see. And how long were you in Belgium? Uh, we were there for, for a bit. I mean, a uh, few months in Belgium that we spent, like, yeah, which was cool because we got to learn French and uh, hang out with a bunch of Dutch people. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, and it was great. I really, I really, I, it was, it ended up being a great time. Like, it was probably one of the best childhood memories. We stayed with my aunt and my cousins, like, and I'm still really close. Like, my cousins are like my closest cousins are the ones we lived with in Belgium. Uh, we just had a, we had a blast. So it was pretty, it ended up being pretty cool actually. Um, so. I mean, did that really feel like a night and day thing going from not being with in, your parents, either one of them, just you and your brother to go into Belgium relative, you know, safety? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember like my brother and I flew together, just the two of us to, to, to Belgium. Uh, and, um, my mom, I remember talking to my mom on the phone, um, you know, and whenever we talked, she would just cry, um, cause she, she didn't know what was going to happen to us. And, you know, even at one point I got sick and like people were getting sick. It was like a malaria type of virus, whatever people were dying from. And I ended up getting it. And my mom was super, she was, she was just super like worried. Strong, you know? I'm sure. Yeah. And there was nothing she could do. She couldn't come back. At one point she was going to just like, you know, I screwed this whole process. I'm going back to get my kids. If we die, we're going to die together. But, you know, it, it, you know, God's good. So he was able to make sure I, I, I ended up being getting better. Luckily, uh, my dad, well, my friend, my dad, doctor friends helped out. So going to Belgium was like completely different. Like, you know, change of scenery. But it was just like we went from city of in, 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 you know, from Luanda to this tiny village in Belgium, uh, small population cows and farmland which is pretty different uh not what i kind of expected europe to look like but it was pretty it was pretty interesting but it was cool though we had, we had a yeah we integrated like right away so it was pretty cool that's awesome i mean i'm floored by the whole story to be honest um you know i've kind of seen it in all my deployments like american privilege and just how lucky it is to be born in a country where everything's relatively stable your necessities are provided for and and, you know, the differences you have or solve, they're generally over a conversation. Yep. Uh, so, man, it's, it's a, you have an incredible background and your adaptability is incredible. Yeah. So. Thank you. And then from Belgium. Yeah. I moved to the US. States. Yeah. I moved to, to, to North Carolina. Um, you know, different, different thing, right? I guess like when you think of the U.S., I remember watching movies and, and I thought the whole U.S. looked like New York. So I was so excited. I was moving to a city like New York. I was like, oh, man, my brother and I were, were so excited. We flew into D.C. And we're like, oh, this is not that bad. And then and then we take another plane from D.C. to Raleigh, North Carolina. In 1999, Raleigh was nothing like what it looks like now. There were no hipsters. It was just far. It was just trees on trees on trees, right? So I remember landing and going like, what the heck is going on? Like, why did dad pick this place to immigrate to? But uh but yeah, and, and uh, end up being also a pretty good experience living in Raleigh, you know. Right. Being- I mean, there are great things about every city, right? Yeah. Every place. But at the end of the day, it's the people, you know, that, yep. that make a place. Exactly. And I, and I just from there, I learned just to be adaptable, right? Like even in Raleigh, 
you know, people with the southern accent, you know, people, you know, you got a whole bunch of Latinos. And like my first friends actually were Latino when I first moved to the States, which is crazy because I, I didn't know Spanish until I moved to the U.S. And, but, and, and I learned Spanish like my, my first week living in the U.S., which is pretty, was pretty cool. Yeah, I, but t- yeah. Tell that story a little bit because it was, it was interesting because what language did you know? And that was, that was kind of like how you fell in with the, the, your yeah, Latino so friends. Yeah, I, so I, I grew up speaking Portuguese. That's uh, the native language of Portugal, uh, of Angola, right? And then, um, so yeah, we moved to Belgium, learned French uh, and some Dutch. And then when I moved to, to the U.S., we didn't know any English. We knew how to say, you know, got to use the bathroom and that's it. Uh, and, and bus. So we actually, uh, ended up missing our bus the first day of school because we had no idea how to catch a bus. And my brother wouldn't listen to me. He actually took me to the wrong bus, even though I told him, uh, that was not the right bus. <laughs> and so, at this point you're how old? Uh, uh, I was 12 and he was 14. Okay. Yeah. So we were 12 and 14 year old. Like, yeah, my brother and I are pretty, he's like my best friend. So ended up missing the bus. We still joke about that today. But then like the next day I was like, I got to solve this. I need to make some friends. So, right. like, so I, I play soccer and met some guys that kicking around and they're all like, you know, guys from like South America, like Latin American guys. They spoke Spanish and his kid Francisco was like, Hey, like, you know, we're all in ESL class together. He's like, I'll hang out with you. You'd be my friend. I introduce you to my friends, but he only spoke Spanish. His English was really bad, but I could understand him. He could somewhat understand me with my Portuguese butchered Spanish Portuguese. So yeah, as long as you're not talking the days of the week, yeah, like you can exactly. generally get so it through. Kinda, yeah, we kind of got it through, and he he understood me, and it was great. So then from there, I was like, I got to learn Spanish. These guys are going to help me out. So they kind of really helped me figure out, you know, where to go for classes, like lunch and whatever. So it was pretty cool. They ended up being my first friends, and it was uh yeah. So I learned Spanish like <laughs> before learning English. I wasn't learning any English first like two three weeks at school. That's I was hilarious. Learning- in Spanish. You met these these guys playing soccer, but they were in your English as a second yeah, language class. ESL, yeah, they're my ESL classmates. But ironically enough, you learned Spanish first yep. through them. Exactly. In ESL, which is kind of weird, but that's what happened. And then you're adaptable. And then so at this point, you know, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Dutch. Yeah. And, and you're working on English. Yep. So my Dutch was kind of, it was okay. I mean, right. well, I was working on English, kind of like a trade-off. You trade Dutch for English, but yeah. Yep. So that's, yeah. So I'm, I'm working on English at this point. Okay. Yeah. So Raleigh, North Carolina, playing soccer, 12 years old. Things are going well. What, yeah. What, and what then my, and then like, yeah, things are great. You know, figuring out at that point, like, you know, my, my parents actually ended up yanking me from that school because <laughs> they're like, you're not learning any English. So we're going to move you like, so they're like, we're moving, we're moving to a different place. And in a new town, in a new place we're moving, like you don't speak any Spanish. Like if we hear that you spoke Spanish in ESL class, you're going to be in trouble. Like my brother had to like check on me and make sure that I wasn't speaking any <laughs> Spanish. So I, it, it kind of sucked because these kids were speaking yeah. in Spanish and like, I know what they're saying. I would want to say something back, but I'm like, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble. So I, I didn't until I learned English, but it, it fast, like it fast tracked my learning English. When I went to that new school, within like two months like i was speaking english pretty good and then then my parents like okay now you can speak spanish again so it was kind of a good trade-off in a way yeah fair point immersion yeah. is like the best way to learn a language yep. so you got to do it yeah so yeah so then from there uh yeah then we moved to philly uh my dad actually you know my dad crazy story like my story is nowhere near it's like it's like my dad came from like nothing like he's like a self you know you talk about being like you make you make your path like my dad you know god helped him make that path but like he came from nothing came went to the medical field moves to the u.s and his degree is worth nothing 
ends up being a dishwasher, um, you know, and then worked for AutoZone, worked for a car parts store. And then he became a, a manager at this like NGO uh, organization. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to get my degree again. So he went back and got his master's in, in theology, uh, ends up going into the mission field and then got his PhD in counseling. So that's what he does, but which is pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, yeah. and it, it's what kind of motivated my, my family. We're like, wow, this guy could start over. And he's he was in his 40s and he was like, yeah, I'm going to start over, go to school and we're going to do that. So that's how we ended up in Philly. Uh, for my dad to go to the seminary. That's awesome. And yeah. Life's a journey. It just shows, yeah. right? Like you're never too old to learn. You're never too old to pivot and do something yeah, new. Exactly. If you're feeling called to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in Philly. And uh, that's where most of my story kind of goes from, right? From Philly. Uh, you know, yeah. So you got really good at soccer, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I always played soccer, man. And in Angola, everyone plays, you know. So my brother and I were lucky to be able to get pulled and, and play for like a team. When we were in Angola, you know, my sister is my sister's like the, actually the best soccer player in my entire family. She's really good. Uh, so from the, from there, we ended up uh, yeah. So we ended up playing soccer. Got pretty good. Uh, we just kept playing. Moved to Philly. Philly kind of sucked the soccer scene at the time because we didn't know, we didn't know much. But we as time went on, we kind of found teams to play with and you know played in school and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. And you're getting close to the end of high school, starting to graduate. What was next for you from there? Yeah, so I, I really was focused on wanting, wanting to play soccer. That was really my thing. Um, my brother kind of knew, like, he wanted to do computer stuff. So he, he kind of pushed me to, like, do computer and get into technology. So we would, we'll, like, code together and, like, you know, learn C++, like, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he was actually a super smart one. Like, you know, 4.0 student, got accepted in every college he applied for, got scholarships. Uh, I kind of just like was his little brother <laughs> for a bit, but I, I excelled in sports. Uh, I ran track, played soccer, so kind of had to make my own path uh, in a way. But the cool thing was, you know, my brother actually instilled a lot of work ethic. You know, he, he would check my homework for me um, and, and make sure I was doing well. He would always call me out if I was slacking, uh, you know, and uh, he was like, hey, like, you got to keep our name, you know, good. Like, don't be that slackering guy. So I, I tried to, to do the best I could in high school. Um, yeah, so I played soccer and kind of like my, my plan was really go to college, play soccer, go pro. Like that was always my my thing. And obviously, like any other young man's dream, it doesn't, right. always, doesn't always work out the way you have it planned out. So, but it's all cool though. And what opportunities did you have as you, you kind of looked at, you know, soccer scholarships? Yeah, so I, I mean, it was, it was a, I wasn't heavily recruited so i wouldn't you know i wasn't like other kids were getting super recruited i wasn't heavily recruited um just didn't have like the right coaches at the time but there are schools that i, I went to camps uh at different places i went to, to camps um at different schools like delaware and like local local universities so they're and i played you know with different teams locally so they're people that knew about me and and i i, I got looked at by different local schools like uh temple lasalle um mm-hmm. so it was pretty it was pretty cool, but I, I actually, my dream school that I wanted to go to was Northeastern and then they turned me down. So I was a bit disappointed by that. So, but sorry. Thank you, Northeastern. Hey, they lost. Yeah. And, uh, and what was college like for you? And yeah, you, so, you played, right? Yeah. So, did really so, well. so college was, was okay. I mean, I, I don't know if I did really well. I did okay. I was injured most of the time actually going into college, uh, freshman year and I tore my ACL sophomore year. And then uh, after that, coming back, missing that uh, junior, that spring, junior year, fall season, I was like, you know what, I got to figure something out. So I ended up, uh, yeah, I just like through talking to some friends, you know, who were overseas, I decided to try it out. I was like, hey, I'm just going to give it a go as a last push. 
um, end up going to Belgium and, and kind of train with the team there and then try to make it. And, you know, in the end, the car just didn't work out, but I, and I went back again and tried again the following year. Um, didn't really work out. And I, you know, I, I, so I was like, at least I gave it a try and the, the system just didn't work for me. And, and, um, it's like, all right, tried it and I could feel good about myself knowing that I did, I didn't just give up my dream of actually trying to yeah. play pro soccer. Right. So, yeah. So you, you played professionally in Belgium, but just not at the highest level, right? Yeah. So I, I ended up training with a division three team. Um, uh, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> they're okay. I mean, it wasn't, I, I wouldn't compare myself to be top notch guy, but it was, it was fun. It was something I wanted to do. Uh, I played semi-pro in the U S obviously, you know, PDL, I mean, uh, a PDL and PSL, which was pretty cool. I mean, it was good experience. So going to Europe, I mean, it, it was also part of what, what I wanted to do, but at least I could say, Hey, I, I tried it. Uh, it was, a, there was a path to go up or finish college. And, and at the end, kind of talking through my dad and like decided to come back and finish college instead. Okay. So you came back and finished college and, and then is that kind of when the military? Yeah. So actually, so actually I, uh, early on to college, I, uh, you know, even when I was in high school, I was thinking about going to the academies and then I ended up going to, um, I ended up going to college sign up to do ROTC for a bit, Navy, Navy ROTC, because I wanted to go to Navy. But then I was like, I also wanted to play professional college, so I didn't really know if I could do the whole giving away my four years uh, afterwards. It was going to just shut that whole thing down. So I was like, you know, I'll leave that, leave that door open. And so I didn't do it. So I ended up like not really doing full ROTC, didn't get scholarship from ROTC or anything like that. So when I came back and graduated, uh, I really wanted to go and join the military right away. Uh, that was, that was kind of what I was thinking. I was going to go, I wanted to go to Navy and then I ended up, um, you know, doing research in college, which was pretty cool. And I enjoyed that. Thought I was going to go to grad school at some point. Uh, it was kind of, I was kind of all over the place, you know, finding out my dreams got crushed. Uh, so I was like, I'll do research. I go to grad school, get my master's, maybe my PhD and teach or whatever. And then I actually, Got lucky. I came when I came back from Europe in 2010. Ended up getting this great internship in construction, and I never really thought I wanted to work in construction. And then I ended up uh, loving it. I was like, "This is great. I'm going to do this." And then I ended up getting a job in construction when I graduated. And the military was always in the back of my mind. I always wanted to give back, uh, and I knew I I was physically fit to go in and do whatever you know. And the military I could be required of me. So yeah, I ended up getting a job, uh, and then after the company was pretty small company, and then I got, then I lost my job, which is like a crazy thing. Right before Christmas, it's like you know, it's like man, my student loan letter just came in, and now I'm jobless. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, so that's when I was like, you know what? Like I've always talked about doing this military thing. I'm gonna do it, and then I was like, no matter what happens, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go in and and, and serve, and I'll do my time, and then see what happens. Right. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors that played into it. You know, I was just like, I need, I, I wanted to be the one in my, my generation that served and I, and the time just happened to be right. So I, so I ended up joining, uh, joining up with the air force. Was that like January, 2011 then? Uh, no, this was, um, cause I graduated 2011. So this is like this December around December of, uh, 2011, I ended up going in like talking okay. to recruiter, uh, and then, yeah, so the crazy thing happened. Like most people would join the military and think everything is fine. I actually had a buddy of mine working for Turner Construction, got me an interview, and they never called me back. So then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the military. And then obviously the military recruitment process takes forever. Like I had to go to MEPS. And while it was taking a while, 
I get a call from Turner and they're like, hey, so we want to give you a job. And I was like, okay. And so I, I ended up telling them, hey, by the way, this is, you know, I joined the military. This has happened. And they're like, hey, like, can we make it? And the recruiter was like, well, can you do both? I was like, well, I think I can. So then I went back and actually switched to reserves. And it was like, yeah, I'll do reserves and work with Turner. So then I ended up starting with Turner in the, late in the fall, joined the reserves. And then I started kind of my Turner career uh, and the military career at the same time, doing both uh, as a mechanic slash and, and doing engineering, which is what I went to school for, which was pretty, it was pretty cool. Awesome. And, and so you served in the reserves for six years. Do you get called up for any deployments in that time? Yeah. So I, I, I got activated a few times. Uh, nothing like you guys as deployment, active duty guys, but uh, you know, I, I volunteered whenever there are opportunities. So I signed up right away. I was like, Hey, I wanted to, to be a part of the game. I didn't want to sit in the sidelines. So uh, there was an opportunity to fly and they're like, Hey, you get trained up, you come in and get all your, you know, get all your training done. You can, you can fly. I was like, fly me up. So I went in, got activated, got trained up and I started flying. And whenever, you know, opportunities came up, I got opportunity to fly a whole bunch of places. I would always raise my hand to go, uh, Turkey came up and like, Hey, it's an opportunity to go to Turkey. It was like, sign me up and I'll go. It was pretty cool. Cause like people I met, they were just like, Hey, you can either come here and just be a regular reservist who comes one week in a month or you can actually get involved and really get to see the world. Right. And I was like, I want to see the world. And, and my company really supported that. So it made it easy for me. It was a no brainer, you know, to, uh, to, to get involved in missions and actually, and it was, it was pretty cool because most of the stuff the air force does is actually like, it's, it's really cool. Like we're taking cargo to Panama, you know, like South American, like Central American countries and, and like Colombia and stuff to, to people who actually need it. And then we're also supporting our war efforts, right? Which is pretty cool. So it's not just like, you know, you're, you feel like you're, you're actually helping everyone. Like, you know, you're helping people who aren't involved in the war and you're also helping our troops. So to me, that, that meant a lot to be able to break out the monotonous of my civilian job and be like, Hey, I'm going to be gone for the next like week or two to go through this air force thing. And they're pretty cool with it. They, uh, it was, I mean, that's pretty great on them, right? Yeah. I mean, you have responsibilities at work and the team has to share that burden yep. when you're gone. So that's, that's awesome that they were yeah, that so flexible. It, it was great. I mean, it, it was fun. I remember like uh, running team meetings out of, uh, we were up in, uh, yeah, we were in Insular like for a couple of weeks and I, I had just, Insular like Turkey. Yeah. I had meetings that needed to get done. And I was like, well, I, you know, I told my team, I was like, Hey, I, I'm going to just do it from, we'll figure out a way to do it. And they, you know, they always gave me a phone plan the entire time where I can go international because I knew I would go with the air force. So it was cool. I was able to call back my guys and like, hey, where are you? I'm like, oh, Turkey. And it was pretty cool like to just run my meetings from Turkey while I'm in the Air Force. <laughs> and, you know, I'm working on my project at the same time. It was pretty, it was amazing. I mean, most of my friends never got a chance to do that. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm sure you got a little bit of flack from the people back in the States you were calling. Yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, definitely. you're doing a good thing. So, yeah. Yeah, but it was fun. I, I I learned so much from from you know being able to do both, uh, being in the military and, and even being civilian. You know, I, I and I met so many people who were like when I whenever I'd be activated, met so many people in active duty that I was able to kind of you know because I I was enlisted, so I was a lot older than a lot of, a lot of the guys I was working with who were you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds who really didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives, uh, and having that experience to say, hey, listen, like you got this GI Bill thing. It's actually good. Like, you know, try to go to school while you're here. Or if you're planning to get out, there's more out there than just like nothing. Right. Right. So, yeah. Right. 
And so for the whole six years you were with, with Turner that you were in the yeah, so uh, been, reserves? I was I was a Turner, yeah. And I'm still a Turner now. So yeah. they're they're Turner's like super supportive company when it comes to to military. So I really appreciate them for that. And so what what kind of drove your decision to get out of the reserves? Yeah, so I I just found that that, you know, career growth, um, I'm at that point in my my life where I want to grow my career. I'm thinking about doing different stuff. So my wife and I started looking at I started looking at business schools uh last year, full-time programs. And then this opportunity popped up. I've always wanted to go work international too with Turner. So I I you know, shut some ideas with my team uh in Dover like, "Hey, they knew I wanted to go international. So there, there's different options they're looking at. Why don't you come in every once in a while and, and fly missions and do your time? Uh, and then this opportunity popped up in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, talked to my wife and I was like, hey, what do you think? We just, so we were like, okay, let's do it. But her condition was like, if we're going to move to a new country where we don't have any family, I don't know if I, I'm okay with you going every once in a while, flying away. And I'm not here, like, you know, and then like just me staying by myself. And that was the thing. I was like, I don't know if I want to be a reservist if I can't fly. That was my thing. I was like, I want to, I want to be involved. I don't want to just be a one weekend a month guy, you know, two weeks a year. I want to do more than that. So I was like, well, if I'm not going to fly, then I, I don't know if I want to stay in. And we just kind of compromised where it was like, yeah, I was like, I guess I'll just get out and um, see what's out there. And and it's been good. I've been able to focus on my career um, and still have that military camaraderie. Like I'm, I'm still in touch with my guys and, you know, that I've, people that I've met from everywhere, right? I got guys in Travis and Dover, like Japan, like people I've met that are now serving all over the place. I'm still in contact with them, you know, they're just great people. And, and now people that are meeting at night and it's just, uh, you know, I have, I have that, I have both, I have the best of both worlds, I would say. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have to make the right decision for you and your family yeah, at yeah. all times. So. And it wasn't easy. I mean, I missed the military. It was not an easy, I had a great, I had a great job. Like some people say, they hated their jobs in the military. I would be lying if I say that. I had a great job. Yeah, I same thing. I, I treasure I what I, I did. Well, I mean, there were a lot of days I didn't enjoy yeah. my job. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, they were tough. But I loved my time in the military and wouldn't yeah. trade for anything. Yeah, there were times where it sucked, right? You see embrace the suck and you just keep moving. But you look back, you're like, it's, it did suck. But then there's so much great things that happened that you're appreciated. Like for a kid like me who, you know, someone who was born in a war zone to be able to come and make it and be able to make a little bit of an impact that I could with the u.s military i mean it, it's for me it's 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 great like i i really you know it's something i remember for the rest of my life awesome and, and so how'd you hear about ignite so you, you kind of were out, always out you were in the reserve yep. so you you knew you were operating in the, in the private sector you still are yep. with turner construction so like what what was the impetus to come here yeah so um i've always been involved with like nonprofit. Uh, volunteering stuff like straight from even when I was in college I volunteered up you know in North Philly try to get the kids there whatever I give back whatever I could right because I, I knew people poured so much in me to get me where I, where I am so I ended up um you know volunteering even when I graduated college I did ace mentoring to teach kids about engineering and and uh, and technology and architecture for them to go into stem fields so uh, as I was looking at business school, I was actually looking at the schools in the East Coast, like, you know, Harvard, Columbia, um, Wharton, which is like where we lived in Philly. And uh, and as I was telling my wife, like we're walking through my essay, she was like, I think you should look at Stanford. Stanford's a great school and you should just take a look at Stanford. I think what you're looking to do is Stanford be a good a good place for you to to look at it because we were doing economic development at our through our church in Philly. 
Uh, we went to the Congo and we're like trying to start stuff there to help people in the Congo with economic development, um, which is where my parents are currently working. So with that in mind, she's like, yeah, I think you're trying to do economic. You want to start businesses that would help others. Stanford is really about that. So you should look into that uh, and kind of put that in my back pocket. And then when we were in Vancouver, after working, I went into, I, I thought I was going to go do engineering role there and they actually end up sending me in sales. <laughs> so Never done sales before. I mean, I worked at like Radio Shack and CVS when I was like in high school, right? In, in college, like that's not the same as like multi-million dollar sales, right? Like, so going into sales, I was like, well, I need, I need to learn a lot. So I was like, let me find like a part-time MBA or like, or something, some, something that could kind of help me learn about sales. And, and I was like, I might even have to go to full-time MBA. And uh, as we were looking at that, uh, my wife and I, like, you know, we found Stanford uh, and had like a part-time program and i was like oh ignite so we were looking at it as like entrepreneurship business blah, blah blah i was like sounds pretty cool and i looked at the price tag and it was like fifteen thousand dollars i was like well i am not gonna pay fifteen thousand dollars so then actually my wife ended up looking at like military discount for stanford whatever and then ignite nine nine you know nine eleven came up. i was like what like and, and we looked at it and it looked the same as the other night and i was like oh it sounds pretty cool uh, and then it was like 2,500. I was like, sounds like we could pay for this. Like this sounds like a great program. So. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry if there's any full-time igniters listening, but I think you guys are aware Stanford and thank you to the donors of Stanford university that allow vets like us to come here. Yeah, definitely. With the full-time price tag, there's no way that we could, we could make it work financially. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So, so it worked out. I mean, my wife found this program for me and then I didn't know it was like, a, you're going to be in the cohort full of vets so that was, that's actually added cherry on top in a, in a way uh, i thought it would be like some vets and then like you know full-time not no offense to full-timers they're they're cool too but it was just like this has been an amazing experience so that's kind of how i found out about that's how i found out about uh stanford ignite through the year my wife found it at the right time and it was just like it ended up i, I think i was at the right place looking at the right place at the right time and then i applied and like like Chris, like yourself, right? You didn't. We didn't know if we're gonna get in, right? Absolutely because not. Because it's like five five percent people get in. Well, to because this program, right? they don't they don't tell you, but because it's Stanford, yeah. I mean, so so I was like, you know what? Let me just apply. Like I don't know if I'm gonna get in. It is what it is. And then and then and then I got a notification like, yeah, you got in. So that was pretty that incredible, was pretty cool. right? Yeah. And I I spoke to my boss actually, our GM, before applying, and he actually wrote me a recommendation here. I was like, hey, I'll be gone for a month if I get into this program. He was like, go, go and do it. And that's another thing like Turner's really good at. He was like, hey, this is your career progression. Go. Like, we'll take care of everything else for you. Just go and take care of this. So, yeah. So the people are incredible, right? And that's really the driver for me doing this was to try to share the knowledge and the experiences of the people who come to this course yep. with everybody that's out in the force, uh, whether you're on active duty or a vet that's been out for a while, like, you know, you've been out for, for out of the reserves for a year and change, but yep. you know, you were out in the, in the private sector for a long time. And, but other than the people, what, what do you think the, your most fulfilling or best part of the course has been for you? Oh uh, man, I think, I mean, the content's been great. Just the teachers that you get, um, they're teaching, I mean, there's a high level teachers, right? So, so you're not getting like some dumbed down version of like business school in a way. They're actually giving you a fire hose version well, of business school. The incredible thing is I was talking with, uh, with Nate, another member of our cohort last night, and there are cases that both of us read as undergrads yep. 
and you come here and then the professor who wrote the case is the one teaching yeah, the class. That's, uh, so you like high Mendelssohn in class and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was a little, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to business school. I, you know, so I, I, right. I, I, like, that's a thing. Like I went to engineering school, so it's kind of different. Right. Like in engineering school, same thing. Like it's just theoretical stuff that some guy wrote that is dead. Um, so you, know, you learn something useful. I, I was an economics major, so you yeah. Know. So it's, it's cool to, to hear that actually. And then like, yeah, when I read the cases, I just thought they wrote them, but I didn't know, I didn't even know that other people read their cases in other schools. So that's even, that makes it even better. So the teachers have been great. Like just learning about marketing and high, like the, the how it operates, design thinking, like the, the content has been absolutely magnificent. Like I wouldn't, I mean, I'm learning so much every single class. Uh, you know, the program is just like, they, they, they set up the program, um, really well. Yeah. I think that the, the blend too of, of, you know, classroom instruction where it's, it's really interactive, but yep. also you're doing the venture. So, you yeah. know, we're broken into teams of six and you do experiential learning and failing Correct. and then, you know, learning through failing, um, and, yeah. and working through that process has been, been a really good blend. So, yeah, no, that's been great. Like working through the pro so you're actually putting, putting in place things that, that you're, you you know, that you're actually like, you're, you're working through what you're learning. That's been great. Uh, and the fact that they kind of threw you off the first week, right. Where it's like, you think you have this idea and they're just like, nope, you know, they don't, they don't do it on purpose, but it's kind of like, they want you to think more in depth, like why you believe your idea is good. So I, I really appreciated that. And then also just seeing the pro the progress and the progression of our project from where we started, we're completely, we're pivoted, but we're pivoted in a good place, you know, and, and the project is still going. So learning that like pivoting from a project, like it's fine. Like as long as you pivot to the right direction. Yeah. Based on data, customer yeah, discovery, exactly. like all those different things, right? You, you end up where you need to be, which is, which is great. And I, and I really appreciate that. I mean, so like, you know, another thing I really appreciate it is um, the company visits were, were actually really meaningful um, to see different things. Like, you know, we went big, we went really big and then got, you know, got small towards the end yesterday, um, which was pretty cool. Like, you know, seeing like the large Facebooks, Amazon, you know, Google, and then going to peak design, which is pretty cool. Like the guys were civil engineers. So I was really pumped up about that. Like they right. were in construction like myself and, they, and then like, you know, they were with the, he was able to, to, to go after stuff that he actually designed. And, you know, he was like, yeah, I want to do this. And he did it, which is cool. Cause like I'm, I'm always coming up with, things and i end up you know convincing myself why i shouldn't pursue that you know design like i make things for myself all the time and i'm like yeah maybe i shouldn't go after it so yeah so it was pretty it was pretty cool to, to see that and that's uh and, and, the, and the project the, the program does a pretty good job um of tying that in um with everything else that they have no absolutely i think you know, the culture that we saw at Peak Design and, and really at all, at all the different companies was was very illuminating. It was yeah. awesome to see and refreshing going to a small company like that that's kept equity, but also grown and maintained culture that works for them. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's been, it's, you don't see that yeah, in many places. Peter's done a great job at running that yes. firm. Yeah. So it, so was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, what, what do you think of the blend of, of people here, you know, I spoke at the very beginning about the, the range of ranks that yep. you have and the different experiences from active duty to reserve and everything else. Uh, you know, if there's a, an E6 out there that's thinking about applying or somebody who did serve on the enlisted mm -hmm. side and they've been out for a little bit working a job, what would you say to that person? Man, I'd say do it. Definitely apply. I mean, I remember, you know, getting in 
And it, it's crazy where like I, I've competed with people for like, you know, when I'm looking at applying like for grad school, obviously I'm looking at like the top grad schools, uh, business schools. And I wasn't really even worried about like people with their PhD and stuff and whatever. And then, and then looking at the resumes of uh, our cohort and I'm like, man, this guy's like a Navy SEAL, you know, Green Beret. This guy's like Colonel, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, this person's doing Intel here. Like just reading his resume and I'm like, this people are not, this people are super smart. Like what the heck, how do I get, how did I get into this? And, uh, and then, you know, but then, but then you, you have people like everyone here, no matter if they're enlisted or officer, you know, active duty, reservist, coast guard, whatever, like everyone in our cohort is sharp. I mean, Stanford has done such a great job picking the people. So if, if you're thinking of applying, don't be like, yeah, man, there, there's all these people way smarter than me. If you, if you feel like you belong here, you do. And you should definitely apply. It doesn't matter, you know, your rank. You've been working in the, in whatever. We all bring in different um, value to the program as well. Like I bring in a lot of, you know, working in, in the industry, like in, in, in like a construction industry. Absolutely. You know, I, that's like, I bring that experience. I've worked in design. I've done, you know, started products, working on product development. So I bring that into the cohort and then, you know, in some in leadership through the military. And then there's other people who bring their experience leading teams of like 400 people, you know, 5,000 people, whatever. And they bring that into the cohort. And, and, and as we have the class discussions, you can see the blend of, of, of ideas. And it's been great just to even chatting with people offline, like, you know, off the class, like just, Hey, what's going on? Like, and hearing their stories and what experience they bring. So I, you know, I think everyone in our cohort, I, I can't say there's one single person we have here that doesn't belong here or isn't contributing to our program. No, to the contrary. I mean, I think everybody's also humble and yeah. uh, I'm sure that there's a hundred other people who could have done incredible things Correct. and fit in the cohort greatly. Yeah. So I know I'm, I'm humbled and, and just very, very proud for the opportunity yeah. to be a part of it. Um. And then what, what's next? What do you think this has driven you to do? Whether it's, I mean, it sounds like Turner's been an incredible company for you. So it makes sense for you to continue on with them. But are you going to, you know, throw some extra things against the wall and see what fits? What's, what's your, uh, what's your plan? You want to be an entrepreneur now? Oh man, I, yeah. Big tech? I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I think Turner kind of helped me be an intrapreneur and kind of, you know, work on things. Uh, but yeah, there was always going to be a time where I was going to step out and you know, I've done my own ventures in the past and, you know, it didn't work out, but that's fine. Like I learned from those. Uh, so there's definitely going to be Enoch starting companies. Uh, Chris knows. So Chris and Enoch are going to be founders of stuff. Just so you know, if you're hearing this, um, we, we might hire you. At, Hold on to your seats. At some point. Uh, but yeah, it's really just showing me to take risks and, and do it. Like, you know, even like, like I say, going to peak design, these guys were doing construction and they just went from construction to something completely different. Uh, and, and, and most of the stuff I work on actually outside of work is not construction related. It's not construction based. And it's just cool. Like even going to Yossi's house and we just started jamming up. That was. So, so everybody out there, Yossi is the program director, faculty here at Stanford, incredible human being, lovely family. Yep. Um, invited us over for uh, for an evening um, yeah. not too long ago. It was great. And also, shout out to Peak Design. If you yes. either uh, if you are a photographer and you've been wondering how to hang yes. your camera, you need to go check them out. They have incredible uh, contraptions for you to hang it on your bag. And so a cool not, backpack. And too. they have great backpacks. Yes, they're branching out into other fields. And uh, some they have some cool camera stands. They do. Out soon, so yeah, and they're a great company. So 
saying that, like, you know, what Peter has done with that team is giving me a drive to be like, I want to create my own thing and, uh, and just go after it. And, and the create. big lesson there, right, is like, just do it. Yeah, exactly. Do it. Don't be afraid. If you fail, you fail. And then you just pick it up and keep going. And it's okay. Like, we want to play it safe. But especially in the military, we, we, you know, we know to play it safe. <laughs> you know, play it safe is, is our thing uh, for, for the most part, right? Like, you get a steady paycheck coming in and you want to keep that. But, like, knowing that there's a reward. And, and even, like, my thing is, like, to be able to make an impact in the things that I want to anyways and to be able to hire vets and people that are that, are, that need work, you know, that, that can make a difference. Like, to be able to do that, I'm like, wow, that's... I should try for that because there's so many vets out there that will need a place to work and they have the skills and the leadership qualities to do it. I just got to create that ecosystem for them to do that. So yes, definitely uh, going to going to be looking at Star Venture. Not going to quit my job. Turner's been great to me, uh, you know. So I'm I'm going to give them the time. I I like to stick to my commitments and 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 I've committed to to some time up in Vancouver. So I'll definitely do that. But uh, in the near future, I I look to to start an adventure. I'm also looking to apply it to business school. So Stanford uh, putting a, putting an application uh, to here, and uh, and and hopefully you know we'll see if I get in, and I'll be able to get that support that I need to continue my ventures while I'm here. And a question I like to ask everyone to wrap up is just share what resources they used, or either in the past or currently, to um, to kind of pursue what's next. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention to you, though, if, you, if you're not familiar, it's called Service to School. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the organization? No. So that's the thing. I didn't really know. Like being enlisted, I didn't know about a lot about uh, the resources that are right. available. Uh, I kind of always work for Turner. So my thing was like, oh, I'm out. I have a great company that I work for. I can stay and work for them forever. But then not really understanding, like, no, there's more resources out there, you know, besides just the VA loan and a GI bill that I have. Um, so being like, yeah, I can go to school got a gi bill you know i got a va loan get <laughs> which is great but there's also also many resources that i'm learning from all you guys here that, that i have so so that's ev- one that i definitely would look at anybody out there that's looking to go to grad school of any kind it's not just mbas um but service to school is a great resource mm-hmm. um their ceo christine schwartz is amazing um her husband's all right too <laughs> but um they, uh, they really, what they do is they, they let, they hook you up with mentors at the target schools you're looking to go to. They can tell you more about the institution itself. You've had an amazing experience here. So you know more about Stanford. Um, and they help you through the resume writing process, um, through your essays Mm -hmm. and just kind of understanding and having some self reflection and, and kind of driving that process for you. So you're not doing it alone. Yeah. And they, I think they generally target people who are currently active duty transitioning out Mm -hmm. But they're there to help vets. Yep. So um, look into them. They're great. Um, I worked with them as I was pursuing uh, applications for MBAs. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was a huge, huge contributing factor to my success. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'll definitely look into that. Even like, you know, from you and Adam, who's, who's another person in our cohort who's doing it, who's going to be doing his MBA, just learning like, you know, what you guys have to do to to get in where you're, where you're going. Uh, it's been a pretty big resource for me to begin with, uh, to just go from there. Uh, so yeah. Um, any other resources, resources. any other ones you're using specifically though? Um, I, again, I'm, I'm going to be looking into all the resources that were available to me here. I, I don't really, yeah, like I said, I I didn't come here really having, you know, any resources. I was really going into it just kind of like a civilian would, uh, you know, when I was applying to the program. So, so I'm definitely looking at all the other resources that we have here. Um, that, that, you know, got passed down through the program. Um, yeah. So 
Awesome. Well, any, any closing words before we uh, go ahead and hang this thing up? Yeah, I, I would say, look, if you're if you're a vet and you're getting out, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. Like, don't feel like you're in a silo. And I know it's hard. Like, I have plenty of friends who are getting out active duty and they don't know what to do. Um, and I always try to tell them, look, like, we have a great community. There's so many of us. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure Chris is going to do a fantastic job passing on contacts and, you know, information to people you can reach out. You can reach out to me. Uh, I might not have the answers, but I can point you to the people that would be able to help you out, you know. And what are the best so, ways for people to reach out to you directly? Yeah, I mean, for me, send me an email. I'm out, or you can reach out to me through LinkedIn, uh, Enoch, you know, Ponzo. Just look me up. You find Turner Construction there. Well, how do you spell um, that just for everybody yeah, out there? <laughs> so it's E-N-O-Q-U-E, and then uh, last name is P-A-N-Z-O. And my email is also the same, enoch.ponzo at gmail. Dot com. So reach out to me. Like I'll, I'll be if I can't point you to the right direction, I'll find I'll find out. Like you know, I think as vets we gotta look out for one another um, and make sure that you know we help each other succeed. Um, there's there's so many other you know there's, there's there's different programs out there at universities. I know like where I went to school, Temple is trying to be more veteran friendly, and I know the faculty of engineering. So if you're looking to go into engineering school, like I definitely can connect you with them. Um, Turner is always looking to hire vets, you know, so if you, if you have an engineering background and you're looking to come and work in construction, you know, we were able to get one of our, one of our best guys, Jesse Marine guy came out, never did construction, but he had the leadership skills and we, we hired him and he's excelling in our company. So, you know, just reach out. Don't feel like you have to settle for a random job, you know, reach out and we would find, we would able to find something that would work for you. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think you've highlighted an important thing is that, you know, I need to try to bring somebody on who is very familiar with the resources that yeah. exist for, for enlisted folks so that as they're either looking to stay in and then want to have a plan that they're starting to build now for long term yep. or uh, they're transitioning or, or already transitioned and maybe struggling or just not happy with where they are. They know what resources they can lever yep. um, in order to, you know, pursue a better future. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Enoch. Chris, this was great. I, I really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's it for us tonight. But uh, looking forward to next time. Yep.